Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. This is Ethan Freckleton. Welcome to the Fearless Storyteller. This is another of my Imperfect Takes series. And for those of you who are not familiar, new listeners, uh, just know that this is me at my most unedited. I'm just trying to get a quick, authentic take on subject that's been on my mind or I feel compelled to talk about or share about. Um, So in this case... I'm going to share about a topic um, that just I circle back to sometimes and I haven't shared with the podcast. Um, it's about head trips um, and expectations and what happens when we actually get to the point um, of crossing over from an aspiring artist to an early career practicing getting better at your craft or trying to find your mentors kind of space and for me I consider the moment I became a professional songwriter not to be when I started to get paid for my music and I'm talking about you know a decade or two ago now um, these days I mostly write books and Songwriting's kind of a secondary thing for me uh, that I can do when I feel called to. So it's almost more at that hobby level now. But for there, there was a time when it was a serious pursuit and something I did seriously. And, and I began that journey of being a professional when I went to my first industry conference. And for me, that was the Kauai Music Festival in 2007, which was pitched. Um, I heard about it via BMI, which is a performing rights organization. Um, it was pitched as an intimate conference where you'd have workshops and be able to have one-on-ones with mentors who would listen to your music and give feedback. Um, and these were industry professionals like record label heads, A&R people, hit songwriters and artists. Um, Interesting cross-section and added bonuses in Hawaii. So perfect for me. Uh, I had been, the first time I went is when I became a professional and I continued um, to prioritize going to this every year and also augmenting that with going to other conferences or workshops and really trying to understand how the industry works, where I fit in or try to find my place, Um, and maybe something I wasn't prioritizing as much but had no choice um, to do was to focus more on craft. I still didn't understand process, but I understood that there was a thing called craft and that 
if I wanted to get anywhere, I needed to understand it and get better at my craft until people told me I was good enough and the gatekeepers would let me through to make money with my work, which was the dream, right? To be able to make a living um, doing what you love. And for me, the one avenue that I saw at the time was possible for me was to make a living making music, making my music. And that's the dream. So I was determined to give it a good shot. Now, the, the title of this is Head Trips. You know, so I, I had to set this up. So you start, I start going to these conferences and I have tangible things to work on um, and get better at. And I have a chance to get my music heard and get feedback. And every year I can kind of compare how am I progressing? How am I doing? And so when I went to the Kauai Music Festival for the third time, I had <laughs> a few interactions. You know, it was a very charged year, and it really did my ego a lot of good. And <laughs> kind of probably, you know, it helped me stay on the track of being creative and feeling, like, validated. Because um, that's what you want. You want somebody that you look up to to tell you, yes, you're good enough. And I, this third year I went that's when I finally got that first dose of you're good enough. Whew. So there's this guy, you know, and I debated whether or not to name him. And I think it's, I can name him because it's not like there's anything legal or anything. It's just, this is my reaction and it's about my head and, you know, other people, they're a catalyst for my story, but they're not the story. Right. And so, I'll name it. There's a guy who who would attend regularly as staff, as a mentor, who had had, you know, a really storied career. Um, his name's David Pack, and he was the lead singer and songwriter for Ambrosia, um, which has was responsible for some huge hits in the '70s and maybe into the '80s, and got to perform at the White House for president, and you know somebody who has been around the block and he heard one of my song demos it's for a song called free to pee the monkey which is which is definitely a song that it's magical for me but i can look back and at it and say the circumstances of it and what i was trying to say were magical um and that i pulled it off but it's a good song and it's that's all it is. It's a good song. And it was my achievement was to have a good song. And he heard the song and, you know, he was super high on it. We, I remember I had a, a group, like a little workshop group, and we would hear each other's songs, maybe a dozen people in the room. There were a lot of people in the room for this one. And there was a guest in the room, also uh, a Juno award-winning artist in there as well, who uh, I was learning to admire and enjoy, and and so he heard the song, and he was so ebullient and so high on it, and he was into it, and, and the lyric and the message, and he proclaimed to my group, this guy 
is the next big thing in alternative rock. I mean, just like sit there for a moment and close your eyes and imagine that whatever it is that you're doing for your art, that somebody says that about you, you know, whether it's the next, you are the next big thing in mystery and thrillers or the next big thing in young adult sci-fi or the next big thing, you know, an alternative rock, whatever it is, whatever your jam is, somebody who's in the industry and they, you know, and knows the gatekeepers and has all these connections proclaims out loud, you're the next big thing, right? And suddenly that guest in the room was looking at me, you know, with wide eyes and a big smile. And later on by the pool, she's introducing me to her producer friend who's makes $200,000 records. You know, I'm talking about the expense of making the record, like working with Aerosmith kind of level and being introduced as this is the guy who's got this cool song. It's anointed, you know, like he's the next big thing. Like, cool. Man, my head, I was tripping. I was floating. You know, I'm sure I was nice and humble in the moment, but just think about I mean, I think about what it did to my expectations at that point. Like, I was like, oh, like, shit, I've got to do something with this song. You know, I'm, I'm ready. It's my time. What does that mean? You know, obviously, I'm going to take this more seriously. You know, I ended up meeting one-on-one -on -one with David as well, and... He told me that his friend Mark Knopfler would like the song, and he thought the song actually kind of reminded him of that Dire Straits feel. And like, cool, Mark Knopfler's one of my heroes, and to hear that, hey, you know, he thinks he would like this song. But he also told me um, that the production, the arrangement on the production could use some work to kind of tune it up to make it the big thing that it could be. And that, hey, what I needed to do was work with this big producer who had worked with Tom Petty and he's in Hollywood and I don't, you know, like this is the guy you need to work with. He has the skills you need, you know, to make this, take this to the next level. And I'm like, cool. Like, can you introduce me to him? <laughs> he's like, well, no, I don't have his information. I'm like, cool. Well, it's good to know. And so I, I cross-referenced this, you know, I, I had another one-on-one -on -one with a guy who was a front person for a huge band. And he listened to the song and some other ones. And he's like, cool, yeah, it's a good song. And so I asked him, you know, I, I told him how David had reacted to the song. And he's like, cool. But he, his energy was a little more checked. He's like, yeah, you know, it's a good song. You should, you should look into it. You know, I don't know, you know, you know, take it with a grain of salt was kind of the message he was trying to get across. Um, <laughs> anyways, like that kind of hyperbole, it, it sustained me. It gave me permission to fully invest in myself and to dream really big, you know, and I, I, you know, I went as far as trying to meet this guy that I was supposed to meet and I went to LA. I had no plan. It, it, you know, the problem with it is I had a good song and I was learning craft and I was getting better at different things, but I wasn't 
I, I, you know, I can look back and I say I was still four or five years off from hitting my stride as a creative and having a process um, that worked for me. And what it did to have that praise at that point is it sidetracked me, it derailed me. It put my focus on trying to get that one big song instead of having my focus being on the process itself of just continually churning out songs and and getting better at my craft and you know just overall becoming a better artist you know i was i became fixated on doing the short term things that were going to have a big outcome or a big reward or were going to get me approval from gatekeepers right because i was still believing in that model that to have success i needed to get the approval of the gatekeepers who would then do all this work for me and create value from my work because the truth is no matter how many conferences i went to in the music industry and no matter who i met and the one-on-ones i had nobody could give me like a formula and say hey this is how you break a new artist nobody could say hey you spend your money here here and here do this and put this music here um, you're gonna get x number of listeners who are gonna hear your music and you're gonna give them a choice to buy your product and this is gonna have math that in any way adds up to having like a business there was never a focus on business there was a focus on having a good song and having a gatekeeper and that's where I stayed for like four or five years of my journey after that was the focus on making sure that I was in a position to earn a gatekeeper's approval. Um, and that's an expensive process. Uh, you know, it's my cost. It comes out of my pocket and I'm not focused on the right things. I'm getting better. But I'm not getting better as a business. I'm getting better um, at you know, the craft and the things. But it's not a business. It's a dream. It's a hobby. You know, and other things happened to me that were similar. Other head trips, like interviews with big rock DJs, you know, who would tell me like on air, like, wow, you've got something to say. I can tell you're going to be really huge. You know, or like, I predict really big things for you. And what it does is I can look back and it hit me today. I was listening to another podcast. Like, I think in my subconscious, like buried down in my subconscious, I always was comparing my results, my outcomes to the expectations that had been set in those moments. So no matter how good I did, no matter what I achieved, I was always kind of compare myself to those expectations of being the next big thing. Right? And I was never the next big thing. <laughs> and I don't, you know, can I say it was realistic or not? Or if, you know, in a different roll of the dice, like there would have been a different outcome? I don't know. But because of that, it always felt like a hustle. I was striving, and I was striving for approval, and I wasn't building a business. I was just 
sustaining a dream, but burning a lot of fuel um, emotionally and in terms of financial resources to try to do that. Um, you know, and I was only able to let go of that when I let go of the dream of being a music artist, somebody that made a living from the music I create and had approval of fans and people who would pay for my music. Um, I found other ways to make money with my music, but the only way for that to be profitable was for me to give up the whole being an artist thing, because that part's expensive. Writing a song and producing a song costs money, but nowhere near as much as it takes then to do the rest of the things with the music. Um, I spent a lot. I wasted a lot of money on having a band and paying people, and, and all of it was because I had the expectation. I embraced it. I didn't let it go. I didn't let it kind of rub off me and just say, hey, you know, it's cool to have validation and to be seen. Like, if that was enough these days, like, you know, I think if I had those kinds of things written on the blurbs for my books from famous authors, I'd, you know, be like, cool, you know, that, that praise means a lot to me, but I know that it has no correlation to what an audience is going to do um, with my material. has no correlation to whether I can even reach an audience with the material. It's no substitute for the fact that now, as an author with an author business, what really matters, you know, at the end of the day is that I know how to reach an audience at scale. I know how to do it at a profit. I know how to give readers a choice and a chance to engage with my material and choose to buy it or not. And the feedback that matters to my business is that people do buy it, that they respond to it, that they email me about it, that they leave a review, that they tell their friends about it. It doesn't matter to anymore. It doesn't matter to my business what other authors think about my work. It doesn't matter what they tell me. It's nice, you know, there's an emotional experience, experience to being part of a tribe. And I think, you know, if I went back into that room now and I had that kind of feedback from David, and wherever you are, David, bless your heart, thank you for giving me the permission to continue my journey. You know, it, it came at an emotional cost, but that's that belongs to me, it doesn't belong to you. Um, if I went back into that room now, I'd be like, cool, thank you, I feel like part of a tribe, and I feel seen, and that's great, and that would be enough value. Um, I would know that it doesn't change the fact that I need to have a process for making good music and reaching an audience at scale and having the dollars and cents work out. You know, praise isn't a substitute for all of that. You know, and this is, I see a lot of people early on, I think that's why I'm sharing this with you, is I've seen a lot of people, 
you know, spend so much time searching for approval and praise from their peers and from people who have been at it longer and, you know, just looking for that validation um, and thinking and placing more value on that than on finding the actual process, the model that's going to bring you the results that are going to actually change your life. Um, approval only goes so far. And if that's all you need, then you don't need to build a business. You can just write. You don't have to spend money. You can be part of a tribe. And you can be seen. You know, but they're two different things. And for me, getting and hearing the words that I thought I needed, the approval I thought I needed, um, was a detriment to me for a long time. Um, so, just that's my imperfect take for today. That's my thoughts on head trips. <laughs> and you know, there's certain aspects of the creative industries where um, you're exposed to a lot of criticism and validation and it feels like that's the whole game but it's just the beginning so I hope you have gotten something from this and I wish you the best in the month ahead and happy creating and if this resonated for you, don't hesitate to leave a message or a comment or review and let me know what you thought. Peace be with you. That's not the life that I need